0: just go to cars.
1: dot com. It's magical.
0: Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode nineteen of the Sco Show. Proudly a part the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield. Happy to be here on today, Wednesday, September 25th, 2019. The show's dropping a little bit later than normal. I'll try to get these out before dawn, but we've got a great guest to make up for. Brandon Thorne from The Athletic Denver and established the Run is going to be back with us. We're going to talk some Pat's online, some of the new guys, new faces up front, what he's seen from them in the past couple of weeks. We're also going to dive into Jamie Collins. I know I gave him a game ball in the Glorious Victory episode. I know I talked a lot about him, but I want to highlight three more plays that I didn't get a chance to talk about in the Glorious Victory episode that really sort of highlight where he is right now. We also obviously have a little bit of sad news that we'll get into involving one Mr. James Devlin. It breaks my heart to even... even. I'm This one's going to be a struggle. We're going to get through it together. It's going to be a tough one. We're going to talk about James Devlin. Before we do any of that, though, your usual reminders, please do follow along with the hijinks on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Check out the work of places like InsideThePylon.com, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, that trio of SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and, of course, Pat's Pulpit. Also, I did want to plug some stuff here at the outset. I'm going to be—it's Bills Week, and we're going to get into the Bills on Thursday's show. I'm going to talk some Josh Allen. We're going to talk with Joe Marino, but I'm going to be on the airwaves. I'm going to be up in Rochester on the radio. I'm going to be in Buffalo on drive time today on WGR um, in the four o'clock hour. I'm going to be on uh, with Nate Gary on WGR at 12:30 on Saturday. Obviously, if you follow me on Twitter, you can find links and. Listen to all of these all of these hits. I'm gonna be doing some podcasting with some Bill shows. Buffalo Bills Week is a big one. Bill's week's a big one. Um and we are gotta get ready for it. But those are some places you can you can also check out the work that I'll be doing this week. Also, I did wanna also mention I am on SportsNet six fifty in Vancouver at one PM every Thursday, doing a little international radio hit. I talk throw of the week, some quarterback stuff. You can always check that out as well. As always, the best way to find all this stuff is on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. And let's face it, if you've come this far to listen to me yap for about 25 minutes or so, you might want to check that stuff out too. It's crazy to me, but hey, people have strange, strange hobbies. I like to build things out of wood. We all have our things. Let's talk James Devlin. Like I said, this one's going to be tough to get through. James Devlin going on injured reserve with a neck injury, neck, upper back, getting some second opinions on it as well. And I saw a discussion on Twitter that I did sort of want to just touch on briefly about James Devlin's importance to this team. And I saw some people, not Patriots fans, sort of outside analysts Questioning just how much James Devlin actually means to the New England Patriots. Come on. It's it's a fullback, right? You can replace a fullback. You can do that. And I'd want to remind people just how critical he is to what they do from a personnel package and standpoint to what they do in the run game and to what they do in the pass game. Now, let's remember, Haas-Waiju, three plays in a row in the Super Bowl out of 22 personnel. They get him involved. They get him involved in the passing game. They would go 20 personnel, that sort of pony look, and sometimes have him in the game. But you could also sort of look at Sony Michelle's development as a ball carrier and make the case that a lot of Michelle's growth, especially last year. Was due to the influence of James Devlin and being able to run behind him and being able to run behind a guy that he trusts. Let's think back to this time last year. A, week, a year ago, right now, the Patriots were one and two. They had just taken a drubbing on Sunday night at the hands of the Detroit Lions. And Sony Michelle was being destroyed with a capital D in the New England media market. He was being labeled a Bust, he wasn't any good, he couldn't find holes, then fast forward about eight weeks or so, and suddenly Sony Michel was a big part of what the Patriots are doing down the stretch and into the playoffs. You could make the case that a lot of that is the trust that he started to feel for running behind James Devlin and trusting what the guy in front of him was taking him to. And so whether it's the passing game or the running game, the impact that James Devlin has had on this offense is insurmountable. And by the way, he chipped in a couple of touchdown runs too. I mean, as I've said on this show, as I used to say on Lockdown Patriots, I would sing odes in his praises. I had shows that were literally titled An Ode to James Devlin. And it stains to lose him, at least for a period of time. And now the Patriots have three players on IR, and they can bring two back there's Devlin, there's Isaiah Wynn, and there's Nikhil Harry. Honestly, at this point, sitting here right now, I hope that Devlin and Wynn are the guys that come back. I think they can get by without Harry. The offense can be productive without Harry in the passing game. Dorsetta stepped up. Edelman seems to have dodged a big injury bullet, which is great. Gordon on the field has been spectacular and it seems like he is in a good place mentally. So I'm okay with the receiver group, even with the Antonio Brown situation playing out the way it did. I want to get James Devlin back. I want to get Isaiah one back. Now, if you had asked me to rank those guys one through three in terms of which guns I'd want most, I again, I would probably go Devlin, Wynn, Harry. And I know that might sound crazy to some. And maybe it's just me, an old guy. I'm a man. I'm 42. I got a soft spot for James Devlin. But that's the guy I'd want to see come back. Whether it happens, we don't know. We don't know how these guys are going to react to injury and rehab and all that. Like and all those things. Maybe wins the most important guy to get back, although it seems like, and we're going to talk with Brandon Thorne in a second about the offensive line, but it seems like the OL shortens up a bit. Going to get some tougher tests this week with Buffalo. You know That's going to be a stiff test. Giants, that game looks a little bit interesting now, a couple weeks from now. You got Baltimore down the road, and then the bye. I mean, there's going to be some tougher tests for this offensive line. Maybe Wynn would be the guy we definitely want to get back. I still want to see him James Devlin. I want to see number 46 back this season. What can I say? Let's talk Jamie Collins for a second here. And what I want to do is talk about three plays. Now, earlier in the Glorious Victory episode, I talked about some of the stuff he did early in the game. But as I watched the All-22 over the past couple of days and sort of got a better feel for how things really went down on the field... I got to the end of the game, and I was ready to just pack it in. And I was reminded of a couple of plays at the end of the game, and I wanted to see those from the coach's tape. And so I'm going to talk about plays that happened with under two minutes remaining in this contest, which again was a 30-14 game. Jamie Collins is still on the field. first play we're going to talk about is a first and 10, with, again, 139 left in the game. And Jamie Collins in this play is actually lined up as a middle linebacker He's staggered a bit off the ball between the center and the right guard. And then he drops down into the B-gap, shows pressure, but then he twists with the nose guard. The nose guard comes and attacks the right cent, the right guard between in that A-gap between the center and the right guard. And Collins loops around into the opposite A-gap. It's a stunt to try to get him a free rush at the quarterback. Now, the center and the right guard do a pretty good job of passing this off. The center helps with the nose guard into the right, into the into the right guard, peels off of that defender, and picks up Jamie Collins. And Luke Falk is able to climb the pocket pretty well, but he doesn't get rid of it. The center pushes Collins back behind to the back of the pocket. Falk climbs the pocket extremely well. Collins disengages from him. Now, probably three and a half seconds into this play. Luke Falk is still looking for an option downfield. Collins doesn't give up, chases him down from behind for a sack for a loss of two yards. Again, he could have given up at that point, or at least kind of gotten back towards him. It's 30 to 14 with under two minutes to go. This game's over. But he doesn't quit on it, chases Falk down for a sack. Next play. This is a second and 13, is what they call it. He lines up in the opposite B gap from the previous play. between the left tackle and the left guard. And he's supposed to twist once more with the nose tackle. So he crosses and attacks the opposite A gap. He's getting blocked and double teamed now by the center and the right guard. He gets pushed back, stonewalled, can't go anywhere. Luke Falk tries to throw a cross and route, a shallow cross at a Robbie Anderson, and gets him batted down at the line of scrimmage by Jamie Collins. Because, again, he doesn't give up on this play. Even though he's been doubled, he's been taken out, he's not going to get a sack, he gets himself into the throwing lane, gets the hands up, and knocks this down at the line of scrimmage. Now you get third and 13. We've had him rush the passer twice. This time, we're going to get him in pass coverage. He, again, shows like he might be blitzing. He's in the sort of off-ball space and the B-gap between the right, right guard and right tackle drops into an underneath zone, mirrors Le'Veon Bell, who's going to run a swing route out of the backfield, takes an inside-out approach as Falk looks to throw the swing route to Lev Bell, using that sideline as an extra defender. Le'Veon Bell makes the catch behind the line of scrimmage and Collins does a fantastic job of playing this again inside out because now he has the defender in the form of the sideline he wants to force him that way towards his help at this point so he plays him inside out forces him to the sideline lev bell tries to beat him with speed that doesn't work he tries to use a stiff on arm stiff arm on him that doesn't work and he rides lev bell out of balance for no gain Three straight plays with under two minutes to go in a 30 to 14 game. If you had concerns, and many of us did, myself among them, about what Jamie Collins might be like in version Jamie Collins 2.0, they should have been erased by that point, but they got to be erased by now because seeing him do that at the end of this game just blew my mind. I was very impressed with that. And so I did want to talk about that briefly here before we have some quality time with Brandon Thorne. And that's what we're going to do next here on episode 19 of the Sco Show. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip.
1: Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void or them. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito
0: And welcome back into episode 19 of the Sco Show, probably a part of the Pat's Podcast Network, closing in on the big number 20. And it's time for some quality time here, and this was yet another listener request. Again, if you want to be a part of the conversation, you can join the old Sco Show Slack channel. I always ask if people have recommendations for guests they want to hear, and Brandon was requested not just on the Slack channel, but the Twitter timeline. And he is Brandon Thorne from the Athletic Denver, and
1: established
0: the run, kind enough to spend some time with us. Brandon, buddy, how you doing, my
1: friend? I'm doing great, Mark. Excited to be here with you and really cool that your listeners want to be back on. So that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, when they started, the
0: Patriots did getting some injuries up front. I got people on Twitter, people, like I said, on the Slack channel that were like, look, you got to get Brandon back on. You know, you got to have him come on and talk about the offensive line. I had had some people lined up for last week, which is when they wanted you here, but had to get you in. It's great to, you know, have listeners that want to hear from people. It always makes the shows flow well, I think. And We're going to get to some listener questions in a second, but I do want to start. Look, we've got Isaiah Winhart, Newhouse stepping into left tackle. I know you got a chance to watch him a little bit. What have you seen from him so far?
1: So, yeah, I think considering the circumstances of him signing as as quickly as he did and getting ready to play that fast, um, you know, right out of the gate against Miami, you saw the rust for sure. Uh, He had a couple holding penalties in that game and, um, just, just looked like he was kind of getting his feet underneath him, um, you know. And then I thought you saw a, a pretty good improvement there in week three. Um, now, granted, I think the schedule so far in terms of opposing yeah. defensive linemen has been pretty kind, um, so it's it's kind of been nice for for Newhouse to to kind of have these two matchups that he's had in the past rushers that, you know, or lack thereof of the Jets and the Dolphins, but still. I think uh, it's encouraging to see the improvement game to game like that. And I think he's going to definitely see uh, his toughest test so far in in predominantly seeing Jerry Hughes this week um, in Buffalo. So plus on the road in a hostile environment, it's going to be a big test.
0: Yeah, I was actually going to ask you that because I think it's fair to point out, look, the Patriots have played the Jets who have had their struggles. Miami's obviously struggling. And so yeah. I think we also have to sort of take what they've done so far with a grain of salt, but you've got, like you said, you get the right. Bills and Jerry Hughes, you've got Washington, and then you've got the
1: giants.
0: That might be a tougher stretch for this offensive line. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, so I think the next two weeks are going to be interesting. You know, granted, Montez Sweat hasn't really looked that great so far for Washington, and Ryan Kerrigan rushes primarily over the right tackle. So I don't know about Washington. I think the interior is going to be severely tested in that one. Um, But as far as Newhouse specifically, I think really, I mean, these next two weeks, I think, will be a challenge just in general for the offensive line, and we'll learn something. And then they have kind of Two weeks there against the Giants and the Jets, again, where it's there's not much there, I don't think. But then there's a six-week stretch, and that's really going to make or break the Patriots season, I think, um, especially with the performance of the offensive line, because you're going to be seeing very good defenses, very good defensive lines from Cleveland through Kansas City and everything in between. So that's really what I'm looking forward to seeing. But still, I think the next couple weeks will tell us uh, you know, a little bit more for sure.
0: Brandon, you mentioned that interior of the Patriots offensive line. And when you were on a couple of weeks ago, back in the summer, you talked about how their interior might've been the best in the league. Now with Andrews out, Ted Karras steps in. That's a big set of cleats to fill because Andrews does a ton for the Patriots in the interior. But what have you seen from their backup center stepping in for David Andrews?
1: You know, I think Karras has been solid, you know, for the most part, um, He's he's more of a limited mover, I would say, than Andrews in terms of climbing to the second level and just his overall athleticism. Um, He doesn't really have the same level of quickness, I don't think, that Andrews had. So just watching his last two weeks um, against the defenses he's faced, now he's seen a little bit more competition on the interior. You know, Devon Godchild is not a bad player for Miami at all. Um, And then, you know, with the Jets, he saw a lot of Leonard Williams um so you know and you could see just the things that he was doing climbing to the second level he you know granted some of the times the running back just you know had to cut back and he 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 was in a bad position leverage wise but still his I think his movement skills are lacking climbing to the second level so just I think you know it limits or at least hinders the running game especially on the interior there um as far as what he can do but I think in pass protection, he's generally very solid. He gets his hands on guys pretty quickly, um, and he has a pretty good anchor. So he's, I think, pretty solid in that regard. But, you know, when you're starting to talk about dynamic interior rushers, uh, you could see him struggle when guys are able to string moves together. I think he kind of struggles to re-leverage his hands and stay in front of guys. So, But that's, you know, I mean, if you really want to get critical and break down guys, you know, those are some of the things I see, but just generally on the landscape of NFL centers, I I think he's probably pretty adequate. Um, and I think in a Scarnecchia system, and in this, and with how quickly you know Brady's getting rid of the ball, and just the style of offense and things like that, I think it could be mitigated. But but yeah, um, these next couple of weeks will certainly be interesting for him as well. I'm going to ask you to sort of put your
0: defensive coordinator hat on for a second, Brandon. And with what you just said about Karras, and we know with Tom Brady, you want to protect the A-gaps. What do you kind of think about doing from a defensive standpoint to maybe attack Karras and in that interior bit from maybe stunts or twists or even some late blitzes? What would you try to do?
1: I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is mug the A-gaps with linebackers if you have guys that you know, have that skill set that are able to be dynamic up there in the front. Um, You know, I I haven't watched a ton of Bill's defense, but I know that they're obviously a really good unit uh, going back to last year. And I know some of the guys on the interior that they have uh, a lot of, you know, I think of uh, TT stunts, you know, running, just getting guys crossing the face of Karras as much as you can, getting him having, having to sift through different targets and actually adjust, you know, mid play to multiple different guys. Stuff like that, I think. I mean, you want to do that as much as you possibly can. But granted, that's very difficult because Brady uh, obviously is, you know, somebody who gets yeah. rid of the ball extremely quick and he's not going to put himself in bad positions. So, yeah, but I still, I mean, that's the sort of th- stuff that I would try and do. Um, and I think that that would really kind of, uh, kind of, you know, really stress that interior, even though there are, you know, very good guards in there to help carry us out. I still think that's something that you would want to do. Now, as I
0: said, look, we had a lot of listener requests for you, so we've got a lot of listener questions to get to. We'll kick it off with one Matt St. John from the Scotia Slash channel who just basically asked, how good can this offensive line be now that you've got Newhouse in at left tackle and Karras in at center, some new faces up front?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, coming in, I was very, very high on them. I had them as the number one overall offensive line, as we, we talked about. But, you know, I think with Newhouse and Karras long term, I'm thinking the best that you could probably do is middle the pack, you know, maybe top, maybe the, you know, bottom of the top 15, I think would be like, you know, really good for them, considering the circumstances. And I think that's all you're going to need, honestly. But I think that that's probably the ceiling that I'm seeing for the offensive line the rest of the way.
0: From Jessica Brand, also via the Scotia Slack channel, who has a great question. With the return of Benjamin Watson to the fold here in a couple of weeks, will we see more trade blocking concepts from this offensive line?
1: Man, I would love that. You know, I I think that that would make sense. Uh, Watson's a, a pretty solid blocker, and you know, I think when you add that element to a running game, it really allows you to really stress the the edges of a defense. And if you have a team that has a defensive end that's more of a pass rush guy, and you know, you could take advantage of him, uh, you know, versus the run. I think that those are. Situations that you want to have in the toolbox if you're an offensive coordinator, for sure, and it makes sense with Watson.
0: Bill Rossetti, who we both know, he's spent some time with us down at the uh, Senior Bowl the past couple of years. When scouting offensive linemen, what can people look for in terms of deciding whether a player can play tackle or whether he's best suited to play guard?
1: So, yeah, this is a question I get a lot, and I think one of the most important things, say you're watching a tackle. And he may not have the athleticism that is needed, or at least the the efficient movement patterns down in pass protection. But you notice whenever he's engaged with guys, his hands are are very good. He's able to have really good hand placement. He's quick with his hands. He's able to re leverage when he you know falls off. Things like that. That to me is a a tall tale sign for a guy who would be intriguing or good inside because I think your hands when you're on the inside are so important because they really have to be, I mean, you get, you get contact a lot quicker. You, you face guys quicker. They they get into your frame quicker. And if you're able to strike them with good placement and keep your chest clear and really control them that way, then chances are you, you're going to have a good chance of being a good interior offensive lineman. So, uh, you know, that's why I think there's some guys, you know, who, you, you know, you look at that, are at offensive tackle that don't have good hands um, and, and people want to put them inside maybe because they're nasty or something like that. You know, I think of Garrett Bowles. I've seen a lot of people suggest that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe move him inside. He'll be better. But I think it actually might be worse there because uh, his hands are really the weak link of his game. So, yeah, I think that's really, a, you know, two things that you would want to look at for guard and tackle
0: got a great question from Josefa Patel. Do the Patriots have a distinct style or technique that they ask their tackles to play with in pass protection?
1: Yeah, so I don't know about position specific like that, but just watching Skarniecki at coaching clinics, I mean, he, Newhouse is going to get, you know, indoctrinated in the in the offensive line way that Dante Scarnecchia has. I mean, the certain principles that he teaches, uh, I know that he believes in two different types of leverage, physical leverage and positional leverage, um, which is uh, physical is like up and down, like pad level, getting into a guy, getting, you know, your pads underneath his. Um, and then positional leverage is really having to do with where the landmark is, whether that's a quarterback and pass protection or, or the point of attack for a runner in terms of his track um so establishing good position so i think that's just one principle that will be taught to him for sure and i mean there's there's other things as well for skarneke i mean he i know he's a big um believer in getting all five guys to see through the same set of eyes you know that thing so really building trust in one another um i think all those type of things are preached daily there um in new england and really i think it's an overall mindset and and, and more general sort of principles that Newhouse is going to be adopting more so than or for the first time in his career, most likely because Karnick is pretty unique in what he does.
0: And, and sort of building off of that, have you seen some of those start to reflect in Newhouse's game? I know it's just been two weeks, you know, but have you seen him sort of take some different steps and techniques and things like that over the past two weeks?
1: Yeah, I mean, you saw from one week to another there, um, you know, against the Jets, you saw a lot of improvement. Just him playing more within himself, not trying to do too much, and just looking more in control, more sure of himself, more confident. And that's a huge part of being a good offensive lineman, is having a lot of confidence in what you're doing. And that comes generally with time. So, you know, it's just going to be, can he improve and get comfortable enough to – overcome the increase in competition that he's going to see. And that's going to be the question um, that that we'll find out. But, but yeah, I I do think that there is some sort of improvement going on there and some adoption of maybe some Skarnakia principles for sure. All right, Brandon,
0: let's get you out of here on this one. And this was a question that was asked. And so I'm going to just pass it along to you. I'm not going to pass judgment on your answer, (laughs) but does pineapple belong on pizza?
1: Hey man, I believe it does. There you go. See,
0: look, I, <laughs> I. people have been ripping me for the drinking the claws and stuff like that. I said, look, you know, you get to be a point in your life. You eat, you drink what you like. And if you like pineapple on pizza, roll with it. Like, it doesn't I mean, bother me.
1: I don't know how people can have a really good pizza with pineapple and some Canadian bacon on it and not enjoy that. I just, I don't know. I've you, always been a fan.
0: You so. get the sweet, you get the salty. It, it can work together if it's done right, I think. I'm with you, Brandon. I mean, I think people, there people- we go. Let people eat and drink what they like. Folks, right. that will do it for today. Brandon, man, I can't thank you enough. Please, before we go, let everybody know where they can find you and your incredible work.
1: Yeah, so the main spot is on Twitter, at Brandon Thorn NFL.
0: Fantastic stuff, Brandon. Always love having you on. We'll get you back here talk some offensive line some point down the down the line here. As I said, folks, that will do it for today's show. I will be back tomorrow with at episode 20. We're going to talk some Josh Allen. We're going to break down the bills with Joe Marino. But until then, folks, please keep on. Blessing those Patriots' reins down in Foxborough.